Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. My name is Rob Crane and I am here as always with the birthday boy, yeah. Chris Valente. Thanks, bud. Happy birthday. Thank you. Two day, a day, it was yesterday, right? It was, so it is the 8th? It's the 8th, yes. All right, I'll remember that because uh, it is exactly one month before my wife's birthday and my daughter's birthday. So the eights are uh, one of the things that's important. My daughter's birthday is November 8th. The eights, the eights. eights. Amy's family has something to do with like everyone's got an eight in their name, eight in their name, eight in their birthday <laughs> or like an eight in, uh, you know, something always adds up to eight. Eight is the number. Huh. And my, and my wife's, Rachel's birthday was two days before mine. So we... The sixth. You guys are close. Yeah, we celebrate usually jointly, um, which we'll be doing in Hawaii in about one month. Congratulations. Ah. And happy birthday, Rachel. Happy birthday, Rachel. Aloha. Oh, it's the best. I am very jealous about your Hawaii trip coming up. Uh, I am super pumped everyone keeps asking me oh the, like a couple of people are like oh the kids will love that i'm like kids what kids kids no kids no kids going are you crazy i've been how suck- long are you going for uh eight days maui how are you gonna do without eight days without the kids i know like in the beginning it's like gonna be like fantastic does it do you think do you anticipate it being weird like day six and day seven and day eight weird no or like you're gonna be ready to see him again yeah, no, yes, yes, no. I'll miss, I'll miss, I'll miss my kids, but it, it'll, it won't, it will not be weird. Uh, plus technology, like we'll see them, right? Oh, Facetime. Yeah, man. we we went to Italy without Zach for a week uh, before Emma was born, um, and we saw him every day and talked to him every day, so it's less weird. Like I've seen you in person twice in a year and a yeah, half, right. and I feel like I see you all the time. So it's like. Yeah, you're right. right. Kind of takes it away a little bit. But yeah, no, um, we are, my brother and my sister-in-law actually are going to meet us there because they live in California. They're going to come out for four days and uh, spend, they actually got an Airbnb in the same place we're staying. So all worked out. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's not until July, right? July 30th, all-star break. Yep. I'm going for all-star break. And then the team is on the road for like the week after all-star break. So it kind of worked out from a timing perspective. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I will be sitting my ass. One of the places of all time. On the beach in Kanapali, Kapalua, Wailea, adios, aloha. Can't wait. Fantastic. I'll be. Fantastic. Our Instagram will look a little bit different that week. Yeah. Well, at least we'll be posting. <laughs> uh, I hope so. Um, so anyway, um, I guess one of the thing the, the uh, though Hawaii sounds uh, phenomenal, and I'm very jealous about this. I guess there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk about uh, this week. One is timely for me. Not timely for me. It's sad. It's tragic. It's everything. Mm -hmm. So in Worcester, Massachusetts, a police officer, a Worcester police officer, went to go save a 13-year-old drowning boy, and he himself drowned along with the boy. It's like the most tragic thing of all time. Yeah, I saw that right? story. So just off. It was a pond, right? One of the ponds. It was a pond. And I was getting the backstory. It's like, seems weird that, you know, how could that be, right? It's a pond. It's, you know, apparently that pond at the bottom, that specific pond, has like, the bottom is not sandy nor gravelly. It's like filled with muck. Oh. And like, uh, it, it's not meant for swimming. There's, um, and the muck. 
I think they think played a part into it. It's just kind of like imagine quicksand. You know, it's almost like quicksand. Yeah. Yeah, and like wearing police officer boots and uh, full, you know, vest and all that good stuff that all the brave police officers have to wear. Um, so it's the one of the tragic situations. And apparently, this officer, his family loved. We've only played what eighteen games at home. Apparently, they came to a handful of games and like they loved it. And um, you know, Doctor Charles at his best puts together phenomenal, moving, touching ceremonies that he always does with class, right? That's like, how can you do something so soon? And, you know, they reached out to us. We never reached out to them regarding a ceremony that we did uh, at the end of the last homestand. And so it wasn't us reaching out and be like, hey, we want to, you know, do something. It was, no, they reached out to us to see if we could do something. That's very different. Yes. And um, Charles just has that touch and he had it, you know, obviously with the Red Sox and the Padres and everywhere. Just a touch to do that, like, I haven't. I don't think anybody does ceremonies and those types of things as good as Charles does it. Um, so anyway, so what's happening is I have to be at the ballpark tomorrow at about 6.30 in the morning. Um, because at 7.00. We open up the gates where 5,000 police officers from around the country are coming to Polar Park to watch the funeral services on our video board. That's crazy. 5,000? 5,000. And apparently there's going to be, you know, they're going to, I guess they're going to walk out when the... uh, uh, when the body is being brought from one place to the church, and then again, yeah, so they did, they did the, something they today, the right? They did like some procession today. Yeah, so that's happening tomorrow morning, and I bring that up not to you know boast or I, for anything about us being doing it. I, I wanted to bring something up with you. I feel like ballparks, and maybe I'm just. It's the only thing that I know, right? Because I've only worked in minor league baseball professionally. When there's something tragic that happens in a community, I feel like these type of gatherings where there's 5,000 police officers or pick something else that's tragic happens at a ballpark rather than an arena or a football stadium. Does that, am I, does that make, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I feel like ballparks are more community gathering places than any type of other venue. Does that, am I way off base? I can't, I cannot confirm or deny your assessment of said feeling. I don't know. Maybe I, I, I think probably time of year will play a part into where parts of the country you're in, right? Like they're going to the DCU center. If it's December, they ain't going to the Worcester ballpark and sitting outside. Of six yeah. Years. But I just, I don't know, man. I just feel like well, those I th- types the, of things, maybe the ones, the, 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 uh, uh, events are burnt into my brain. Like the, uh, the, the David Ortiz is RFing city. The, uh, uh, George Bush first pitch after nine 11, but those like, are actually like, games. Those were games. Those were games. I don't know, man. I just feels like, those types of well, things. Well, the ballpark is ballpark. probably logistically easier than a stadium, too. Outdoors is just easier for everything um, when you yeah. can do it. And also, right now, from a 
not that it seems to be a thing anymore, but COVID, being outdoors is preference, preference, right? But this is this is where the sports and the community go do kind of intersect. Is the 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 ballpark is only been open for a couple months. It's going to play an integral role in the healing and the moving forward of a community that's clearly hurt right now. Yeah. And the fact that the team and the organization and the ballpark has the ability to do that and provide this really cool, I say cool, uh, probably the wrong word, uh, it, it, moment for these officers to come and recognize one of their fallen. And then the family, uh, I'm sure, is going to look to you guys as a distraction for their kids and etc. like you said, their, their fans, and will be treated like royalty to come to the games. It's That's what sports is all about, is that you guys have the power to do that. I, I Yeah, you're right. It's like... I don't know. It's what you have to do. I don't know. You want to hear it? So as an operator, you start thinking like, all right, it changes from 5,000 police officers to 5,000 people pretty quick. Yeah. And normally when you enter Polar Park, you um, you go through a magnetometer, the little thing that beeps if you're uh, if you've got metal on you. And then you get, you know, put your so, you, you know, your keys don't beep and all that stuff. So you put you go through that and then you get your ticket scan and go. And someone was like, oh, we got to get the magnetometers out for the event. I said, what are you going to get the magnetometers out for? If anything goes wrong, you've got a building of 5,000 police yeah, no, officers. I, I think you're good. I think they all got metal on them. Too. I think they all got <laughs> guns on them, too. So I don't think – what are you going to – everyone take off their guns to walk through the door? Yeah, right. I was like, nah, I think you just kind of open the doors and you say thank you. And uh, That's the safest place in Worcester at the given moment is 5,000 cops in one location. 5,000 cops in a, in a building. So I was like – that's so. Nah, I think it's you're so right. sad that, that, that I saw that story. It's terrible. It's tragic. It's, a, it's the worst. The absolute, absolute, absolute worst. And you see, it was like Saturday or Sunday. Like I said, they asked us to do something, and it's like 13 year old kid threw out the first pitch. That's really cool. Ugh. It's it's. Speaking of, it did, was nice to see, but like, did you see that? Um, not going to at the Red Sox game for Lou Gehrig. Day, uh, uh, Pete Frady's daughter threw out the, the first pitch. For those who don't know, Pete Frady's was a Boston College baseball player uh, who got ALS, was very the, the instrumental in the ice bucket challenge. He literally like invented the ice his bucket challenge. Yes, right? Pete Frady's foundation mm-hmm. invented the ice bucket challenge. Obviously, around did Boston. Did you do it? I did. And so did my dog at the time when he was oh, Rufus, dog, yeah, Rufus go, was part Rufus, of it. Yeah. Um, I did do it. Uh, so, and I forget who, cha- someone challenged me that was crazy. I forget, there was, it was almost like a celebrity. I forget who it was. Um, anyway, so. How can you forget? If you, I, you just dude, I can't remember little, anything. I can't, I literally. You said, well, a celebrity. I forget, it was, it was I somebody. Who I, I, gotta, I gotta figure out who it was because it was, when I say celebrity, it's probably a B or a C list. I got to figure that out. Anyway. All right. I want to know who the celebrity was. Um, he. Mine was Marty. Marty just, Marty did it. Marty, Marty challenged Where was that? Where were you at the, during the, I was the president in Scranton. You were in Scranton. Yeah. Cause that was like 2014 ish. Yeah. 13, 14. It was one of those two years. Yeah. It was around there. Um, so anyway, he, he passed away a year ago, I believe after a long battle with ALS been very instrumental in the fight towards ALS was 
in not great shape. He'd come on our he came on our uh, spring training trip every year with us. Um, he was at the ballpark. His family, his brothers, awesome. His dad's awesome. His family, his mom's awesome. His wife to be able to go through what she went through. Oh, strong human beings. But then his daughter threw out the first pitch at Fenway Park on ALS Lou Gehrig's day, which is like people were just bawling. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. So, and he played baseball. So, like, that was the whole thing. But awful disease. Awful, awful, awful disease. But ballparks are there to to heal. Uh, they're there. No sport, it's sports in general. Like, it's just they just heal. Like, they're people turn, and that's why the we've said this in this podcast for a year now. The country, the world, everyone needed sports the most during this last year when we just couldn't turn to it. It's like we've always turned to it during every issue we've ever had in the world. And we just didn't have it. And it wasn't the same without fans, which we're going to get to. Uh, that now that it's turning back on, you're seeing a lot more. I, seems like civility. I don't know. Society seems a little bit more healed. It's not as. No, I, you no, say that. I and then I fe- saw the, the crazy New York Yankees fan yelling at second graders on. Oh, no, uh, that's. Instagram but that's just. That's. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like. That's still sports. I'm talking like no. How can you say that? I mean, we got people throwing water bottles at Kyrie Irving. Yeah, but that's sport. No, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the fans are insane. That's been forever. I'm talking about. I don't feel like every second of my day is talking about politics or mass or COVID. Oh, right. Like it feels like we're kind of getting out of that. I I I understand what you're saying. Vacuum, and it's not just about the same thing every day, twenty four seven. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Every text chain used to be like, look what this person. Like I just just doesn't seem like that. Seems like that's calmed down, which is. Because we're talking about people throwing water bottles at Kyrie Irving, or is Aaron Rodgers going to show the Green Bay can't like the sports world's insane, but society in general seems a little bit more normal. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? I don't even. Anyway, how uh, ballparks and such can make. Uh, I the, someone told me the front porch of the community type things. Yeah, that makes sense. I, that's a good analogy. Yeah, you, it's not mine. Someone I, where you go hang out and just kind of. Shoot the shit and so, talk about things. Right. So speaking of shooting, the, we didn't talk about this going in uh, as in our prep discussion of 30 <laughs> seconds. Um, the Islanders GM is Lou Amarillo, right? My former boss, yes. Can you give us a good – so tell us about this guy. So I, he's like a whack – he's crazy, no, right? No, no, um, no. I can't say he's a whack job. <laughs> he's not, he's not, I didn't say that either. Yeah. I, almost, I had a ch- – So, I all right. So Lou. Um, <coughs> Tell us about Lou. So, so Lou right now is the general manager of the New York Islanders. Correct. They are going into Game Six. They're smoking. Night. They're, no, they're they're smoking the Bruins right now. It's four to one. The Bruins are in trouble. It's four to one. Uh, what period? Uh, end of the second. Right. So going that top three goals going into third. Got it. Okay. So Lou Lamarillo is the general manager of the New York Islanders. Correct. Correct. And you worked for him when he was at the Devils. He was the general manager, CEO, president, and at, at one point coach of the Devils, uh, multiple times coach. Yeah, um, I reported him into him uh, pretty directly when I was in Lowell and Albany be, based on the structure of how we organized. He was... So when I joined the Devils, I was 22 or 23 right after the Giants. The Devils were known as a very hard place to work. Uh, I guess is an easy is an easy way to assimilate it for you. There no facial hair, no long hair, 
same as the players. No facial hair, no long hair. Co- Not even during the playoffs? Playoffs, beards allowed. That's it. Like, if you see the devil, like the devil's beards during the playoffs are huge. Like Scott Stevens, Scott Gomez, all those guys. But the the front office, like very Yankee-esque Let's in, yeah, in that yeah, regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is essentially the godfather of hockey is the best way to describe Lou. And the most intimidating human being on planet Earth in just his presence. And it's not just me. Every player I've ever talked to has said like you don't there's you, you don't understand you get in a room with this man and there's just something about him and he's not he's, he's like five five eight um italian old school providence college so he started his career as the hockey coach at providence college baseball coach as well became a athletic director founded hockey east they play for the lamorello cup in hockey east one of the most pro oh. one of the most prominent uh hockey yeah, divisions right. in college he's, he's a god from providence um hockey hall of fame won three stanley cups with the devils went to five five or six, five um ownership changes happened uh at the devils when i was there and i'll this is the best way to describe it. lou is the most loyal human being you could ever find on planet earth like if you're on the good side of lou you're on you're forever on the good side you go on the dark side not the place you ever want to be because you're forever you're going to siberia and it it was was players and front office and like if you think about the devils the devils are the new jersey devils they're not the new york rangers they're not even the new york islanders he kept martin brodor the get probably arguably one of the the best goalie of all time as a new jersey devil for life scott stevens like all these guys stayed there. The coaching staff was the former Montreal Canadiens. Larry Robinson, Jacques Lemaire, Jacques Lepre. He brought those people in with him. They, they, they gravitate towards this man, right? He is viscerally loyal. So I'll take, they'll take you through a personal story of mine. Um, Rachel, at the, we were in Albany. And Rachel's like, I'm done with Albany. Like, we're moving. We're like, you do it. I'm going. Like, we're coming with me. We're like, but we're out of here. So I had two options. So I, I I talked to Lou. I was like, look, I've done the thing here now. It's either I'm coming back to New Jersey or I have to move on. He's like, I will bring you back to New Jersey tomorrow if you want to come down here. Here's the problem. He's like, I don't trust this ownership group for like five seconds. And like everyone that was a Lou guy in New Jersey got, or got, was blown out. People that were there forever, yeah. like during the ownership were just gone. So he's like... I would tell you, because you've been so loyal to us, you should leave. It's like, I think you should leave. He's like, I, I, I will help you, whatever you want to do. Like, just tell me, like, we'll, we'll help you. Long story short, I ended up going to Nesson. Um, not even going through Lou, but that just ended up what happening. Uh, and then, ironically, a year later, the Devils called me back to go back to New Jersey. I went down and met with him. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to take your opinion. Like, what do you think I should do? And he's like, I, you know, he's like, I don't think you should come here. Um, and I didn't go back and sure enough, like more shit just kept going down and I stayed with, with Fenway and Ness and it all worked out clearly. Uh, but he was just a very loyal human being. And his son, Chris was the general manager of our minor league teams, um, who is not like his father at all. Like just more of a teddy bear type tries to be intimidating. Yeah. Like, but it's just not also went to Providence college right down. The, he lives right on the, he lives in Lincoln. Um, Rhode Island. That's the that's literally the town. Of yeah, Lincoln. so that's where Chris Le- Chris Lamarillo lives in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Um, 
who's now the general, he's like the AGM of the Islanders. I don't know. So Lou goes to Toronto after the Devils. Is the AGM of the Islanders? I in, think he is. Lives in Lincoln? Yeah, he commutes back and forth. His wife is, Chris Lamarillo's wife, Vicky, won a gold medal on the U.S. women's Olympic team in 1990. We should all go play golf. Does he play he play, golf? Yeah, he plays golf. Yeah, he's a golfer. Um, so Can we do that? For sure. Yeah. So hockey hockey was the greatest. Hockey was better to work in for me than, than baseball. Hockey just sent me more of a community. Like, I can text the Bruins assistant coach right now, Kevin Dean, and he'll get back to me, like, after tonight's game, even though he's about to get eliminated, and be like, hey, what's up, buddy? Like, it's just a very different world. Um, I have so many hockey, like, so many stories, because all the former Devils who I got, who I grew up as a fan of would come down to the minors to be, like, assist, like, uh, Jay Pandolfo, who's now the assistant coach of the, the Bruins. From? from? Uh, Burlington, Massachusetts. Burlington, the town I graduated yep. high school. So I got to know the Pandolfo family really well, because Mike... So when they won the, when they won the Stanley Cup, they brought, you know, they bring the cup to all the towns? He brought it I there. Went to go see the St- I went to the Stanley, go see the Stanley Cup when they brought it. The Pandolfo's are a great family. Great family. Mike and Mike and his Mike and Mike his brother and Mark his cousin played for us in Lowell. Um, Lou is very, like I said, loyal as you can, as I could attest to all these other stories. So anyway, he is the most intimidating. What makes him intimidating? His presence and he's. He, Howard, give me a story of when you were intimidated oh, by oh. Lou. Um. <laughs> Just literally every time you talk to him, I'm not like I can't even exa- I, I I'm not even exaggerating. When he would call and just ask a question, it was like short, quick, boom, and he's gone. And like if him walking the halls, like you just were on eggshells. He just has this aura of and like was he a yeller. What oh yeah, like? he could. Oh yeah, he he would. It, and it's it. Some deserved most of the time, but yeah, yes, he was an intimidating yeller. But you had this weird like connection with him that like if you were on his side and it was you were his guy, like you were good and you could take the yelling. Sounds like he sounds like Lucino. They're probably very similar, but Lucino to me never like I'm telling you, you, everyone I've ever met or talked to who has been in this man's presence just feels it. Like Lucino to me is more of a. He doesn't have that, like, uh-oh, like, I'm a... He just doesn't have that. Um, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not... You're not scared. Of, I'm not scared of Lucino, no. So, I'll give a, I'll give a player story. So, Ken Danico, long-time New Jersey Devil. Great. Won three cups with them. Early in his career. Goes into Lou's office and is like, Hey, Lou, I think I should be playing on the power play. And Lou's like, oh, oh, tell me more. Um, he's like, you know, like I, I should, I'm feeling good with my shot, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I want a chance. I feel like I can make a name. Like, now mind you, Ken Danico ended up scoring probably like five goals in his career. He just was terrible. <laughs> like at offense, he was a, he was a stay at home bruiser. Yeah. Lou's like, you know what? He's like, we have, um, he's like, I, he's like, Ken, I see you as like a drummer, uh, on this team. And like, it sounds like you're looking to play like the clarinet or something. He's like, you know what? I'm going to pick up the phone and see if there's 29 other teams who need a drummer. He's like, wait, what? He's like, he's like, yeah. If you don't want to be a drummer for, like, you don't have to play for me anymore. And he's like, boom. He was like, he said, he's like, thank you so very much. He walked out. He's like, that was never time you brought it up again. Like, you just didn't. He's very system team. No one's bigger than the team. That's fantastic. Oh, it, right, I'll just make a phone call. You Scott can... Gomez was telling me that this tells a great story. Scott Gomez, early in his career, was a great rookie. Was hot shot, just definitely not what you'd call your t- prototypical 
devil-ish person from like a personality. He now he's in New Jersey, Northern Jersey traffic is atrocious. He says he sees this car like barreling down the New Jersey Turnpike uh, on in, in the breakdown lane, and everyone else is stuck in traffic. And he's like, I know that car. It's Ken Danico flying down because they're to this day this is instilled to me he was gonna be late you do not, it doesn't matter if you're marty brodor or you do not be late when we got to work we had to check in with hr that we were there before 8 30 if you were not there by 8 30 you might as well not even have shown up that day you would just did not come into the office same thing for players for practice gomer was late he was never late ever again in his life. I, I am I am on time and early for everything I go to. Everything. <laughs> because it was like, and still like, you do not be late. And then it was with the Giants, it was Tom. Co- I you went from to Tom. check in with HR? Yeah. You had, to, you, had to, you had to click on the, like, you were here. And like, if you weren't, it, snowstorm, you know it's going to snow tomorrow, get up early. Get here on time. It was, it was militaristic from his old schoolness nature, but like, you can't argue with the success that he has on the ice. And also, like, business-wise, the Devils struggled mightily after they kind of pushed him aside um, and went with the new ownership-type style that failed, quite frankly, miserably um, and had to get sold again. But That was in between... So that was... It was Jeff Vanderbeek was the owner that came and bought it from McMullen, which is... All the cups were won with McMullen. Jeff Vanderbeek bought it. He was a Lehman Brothers guy. Lehman Brothers went under during the financial crisis. He held on the team probably for too long, and that's when um, Harris Blitzer bought it. Yeah. And Lou at that point had left, I think. Um, anyway, he's the most intimidating human being you have ever been around. But the people who love him are love fiercely loyal to him till the. So, how close could you call him up today? Yes. And- because I, I was very, I was a, what you would call a loyalist to Lou. So his loyalty meant you, that you didn't have to ever leave. But while you were there, you bought in and you weren't causing problems or ruckus. And like, you could disagree. That's okay. But like, once he makes the decision, you move on. And like, right. there was no arguing or changing. So yeah, uh, I have a soft spot for Lou. I could see why some people can get rubbed the wrong way by Lou. Um, yeah. But he took care of me for, he protected me for years when everyone else got gassed uh, because I was under his You're a Lou guy. I was under, but I was all his Lou people that were that it's crazy. Looking back when I made the decision to go to the AHL, it saved my job years later because when they reordered the structure of the whole organization, they moved me into quote unquote hockey ops because they considered the Meyer League, like the whole entire business part of it, just a hockey operation. And Lou had lost the business operation in New Jersey because he used to run all of it. Ticket sales, corporate, like everything. We ran through Lou. So I technically was under hockey operations in the New Jersey Devils like systematic way they've structured everything. So Lou was able to protect me from all the other people that got gassed who were in New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. Lou seems like a, I'd like to... Uh... He says, "Sons in the, literally the town I live in. Yeah, he's in like, he could be my neighbor. I have no idea who he is. Um, and if, if, unless you live in a palatial, massive house. I, I sure don't. <laughs> I don't think he's your neighbor. Um, I sure don't. I live in a... Let's put it this way. Lou, Lou has been a CEO president of a hockey team since 
six, I think he's my not see, not not Lou. I, you said uh, his son lives here, right? But you take care of your family, right? Like and his yeah, you're right. yeah. I mean, he's Italian. He's a he's, he's literally the godfather of hockey. That's the best way to describe Lou Lamarro. It's phenomenal. He's like Fantastic. seventy. He's seventy-eight, and he's gonna be in. Yeah, him and Lucino are like the. You're talking to him. Sounds like the similar. I guarantee they they definitely know. They're definitely running the same. Lucino is uh what probably seventy. I bet you if you ask six years old. I bet you if you ask Larry if he knows Lou. I'll, yeah, if I. Uh, I'm I'll, sure. I think I'll see Larry tomorrow. I'm sure he does. Cause I'll ask. So Lou Lou was on when Steinbrenner. What's Lou's son uh, name? Chris. So that was another funny thing. So. I was Chris. The COO in New Jersey was Chris. His son was Chris. And my CEO in Albany was Chris. So we would be on a call. It literally was four Chris's and Lou. It's <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm talking to him. He's like, oh, you Chris. So yeah, it was like all Chris's. So we all had to go by our last name. Um, but yeah, Lou, Lou is the godfather of hockey. He's about to go to the Eastern Conference Finals again. He's 78 years old. He rebuilt the Islanders. He rebuilt the Maple Leafs. He fixed the Devils. Guys... It's still 4-1? to one? Uh, It's still intermission, I think. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, that took us on a tangent about Lou Lamarillo. There we go. They, uh, But I saw that yesterday, and I was like, I gotta ask Chris about this. There you go. I gotta ask Chris about this. Um, so, I guess uh, the other topic i wanted to um hit on which is probably you know more about what we actually uh you know talk about is people are starting to talk about money now right like people are hiring um there's some thought process about you know our ticket people are not ticket people entry level people underpaid the answer is yes um but i i know that you're pretty passionate about this whole I, money situation I, uh, but i also i also think we should give some advice too because you know advice is free and we're give it we're uh episode 140 or 141 about giving advice and um i guess i want to get your opinion on the business side of you know salaries and all that stuff but i also want to like when I, I i probably still stink at the money talk right or uh, when you're first starting off, he's like, "All right, there's a job, thanks." But there's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. What are your, how do you, how do you feel about this, Mr. Valenti? I have a lot of thoughts on this subject. All right, go ahead. Oh man, where to begin? So, <clears throat> um, so I guess I'm gonna, my I'm, thing I'm, is- I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to politically correctly say this to not open Pandora's box. Uh, I think the industry, and I, I this is what I want. This this is my hope and goal of the industry. And the, for those of you starting starting out, I, this is what I want you to strive for and to continue to evolve this industry. We've done a really good job over the past couple of years of putting diversity front and center, but it hasn't done enough because it, this is where the breakdown happens in my mind. And until somebody in an organization start to break the cycle, we're just going to stay in this vicious cycle that's, creates a socioeconomic divide of what candidates can and cannot work in sports. And you're also going to just continually drive top talent away. So the stupid, and I'll say it, it's stupid uh, mantra of because so many people are willing to do your job for free and the talent, the, the, the candidate pool is so large, it keeps the, the price and the salary down because, but here's my question. 
of that candidate pool, and I've now worked in this business 19 years, you have as well, are we getting the best talent or are we leaving probably a lot of really good talent who goes into other industries because of the pay to start? Oh, no. I know for a fact that we don't have the best talent. Which is Because why, why I think that is I just lost a, a potential entry-level person because they were going to get paid a salary that was $20,000 more. Uh, plus commission, right? So like you can't, and how are you gonna argue with that? And well, they were they were phenomenal. And I think I think just being able to say I think the whole like oh, but you get to say you work for so and so, like you just need to get that out of our vocabulary as executives and organizations and, and realize that's not okay. Like that's not what people pay their bills with, that's not people who pay their student loans. We can't we keep requiring and like I'm gonna have a big delineation here. Like I separating the majors from the minors on an economic scale, I understand they're very different. Like it's hard to pay a lot of people money when you're selling $3 tickets and independent baseball or single like, like I get that. Like you don't have the revenue streams that these major leagues organizations do. We can't keep requiring people to spend $50,000 to get a degree and then offer them $20,000 for starting salary. Like yeah, $50,000 a year. Right. That's what, like it, it, it doesn't make sense anymore. And so and the other thing that, that that bothers me, and I just don't for the life of me, and I think this last year exasperated even more, and I don't work in the department anymore like you do, this weird stigma that we've, where we did this as an industry, put this thing over the ticket sales department of being like a stepping stone, irrelevant dumping ground, quite frankly, for crap projects or heavy lifting where we've made it where people only want to stay in there for a year or two and are looking to get promoted when it's actually the lifeblood of our whole entire industry. Like I was saying to somebody the other day, it's like if you went into insurance at 22 and we're selling insurance, you, you might get promoted and titled, but what you're selling doesn't change, right? Like right. insurance is insurance. Like tickets are tickets. Like why did we create this weird, like, oh, you get into ticket sales to get your quote unquote foot in the door to then move on to something else because you don't want to be in that department. Like why is that department so bad? That department should be one of the most prolific salespeople. Like no one watched the games for the past year because no one was in the stands. Now the yeah, right. people can come back to the games. We need to have people to bring them back. You turn on the TVs. The fans are not sold out. Like they need to bring more people in. The uh, the key to a minor league business. This is told to me basically from the day first day that I got here, in in minor league baseball. The key to the whole thing is group sales. Oh, that's selling, that's that's key. That's selling. That's no question. You know, Fifty, a hundred, you know, corporate outings, the little leagues, that kind of stuff. That's the key to this whole damn thing. So some of the best run, at least I know minor league baseball, right? Some of the best run minor league baseball teams. Indianapolis, Lehigh Valley, Charlotte. They've had ticket sales folks for like 15 years. I the same thing. Got Las Vegas guys. 15 year ticket sales guys. Same thing in the AHL. There was people that were in departments that are still there since I've left and that were there 10 years before that. Like they are So you got to pay them, right? Cuz they're going to go do something else if you don't pay them. Yep. Um and you got to take care of them. And I just don't think that it happens everywhere and it needs to. I also think, too, that to kind of change it as well, 
you know, Marty Cordero offered me $16,000 to come out uh, to sell tickets in lovely Battle Creek, Michigan, and hear feral cats fight <laughs> underneath me in a double-wide trailer while using a singular cell phone between three people. <coughs> I got a cat I got a cat fact for you before we keep going. I saw this. Cats suck. So, how many birds do you think a cat kills a year? I don't know, but cats suck. I hate cats. It's like tw- it's like billions. I saw this stat the other day. Cats kill billions of birds a year. Billions. That's no, untrue. I'm telling you. Approximately 2.4 billion birds every year Who are... Who the hell's counting this? <laughs> and why do cats stink? Cats are the least loyal of all animals. Well, no, yes, I don't disagree with this. I have. They will leave you in three seconds. Yeah, they'll eat you and... if you're dead, and the dog will sit there and cry. Yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. Cats are the worst. <laughs> I do not like cats. Uh, if you say I'm a cat owner, I look at you different. Well, I'll never. I'm a cat person. Yeah, I'm not a cat. I, I'm allergic to cats. Cats. They are kill the worst. 2.4 billion, and then they it says they kill 2.4 billion birds every year, and then say although this number may seem unbelievable, it represents the combined impact of tens of millions of outdoor cats, so who are just like feral cats, like out there just killing for eating, and then they kill about 20 billion total mammals per year in the United States. This is just the United States. That seems like a lot. <laughs> it does. It doesn't make any sense. I numbered like now this could be completely wrong, but that's what this article said. I was like, this makes no sense. Anyway, no, I'm... we're all on a tangent. no, but no, you got me. I hate cats. I don't like cats. I don't like cat people. The people have the little trees that they're that they're the indoor cat things, and they play with the little bells. Down, I don't have any. Do it. Yeah, no. That's uh, I am not a cat person, as you can tell. But one of the funnier things that I've ever said, I've ever seen Will Ferrell's. Uh, SNL um, uh, when he when he tried out when his audition I probably I don't remember it being he acts like a cat and it is <laughs> one of the funniest things of all time so when he was auditioning for SNL we'll post this on front office futures the cats killing people the article I'm telling you please someone we should um, but anyway cats are not cool no, no tigers and lions are cool but cats no like a house cat. Or yeah, no, is, I'm all I'm cute. all set on that. Kittens are fine. Kittens are cute. Cats, yeah. I'm not a cat person. But anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, getting uh, paid sixteen thousand dollars by Marty to listen to feral cats. I guess one. Yeah, right. Well, we got way <laughs> off topic. Um, That's what we call a my tangent. My thing is, my my thing is okay. I just said yes, right? So I think some of this stuff is you're asking young people. Um, that they say, how much are you going to get paid? Uh, okay, I want to work for so said team. Yes. I feel like there's always room for negotiation when you're asking, when you're talking about money. And the worst thing to go back to, probably something we said in you know early episodes, what's the worst that they can say? They're not going to say, uh, sorry, now we're going to go find another candidate. No, we just add our max offer here. Take it or, now. It's take it or leave. Yep. They're not going to say you idiot. You keep asking me for money. Right. Especially, oh, <laughs> I offered you sixteen thousand. You should be happy. <laughs> right. So I also think too that if I am a person, whether I'm early in my career, hell, you know, mid career, late career, whatever the offer is, I'm asking for more money. So whatever that they say, they say, all right, it's. 30 grand, it's 40 grand, it's 50 grand, it's $290,000. 
whatever that the thing is. I'm asking for more next. Because what do they say? No? Right. All right, what can you do? Does that mean, you see what I'm saying? No, I... Yeah, it's a... it. But I blame it... I blame it on the industry for offering those numbers because the 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 problem stems from the top where it's like well we all started there so you do too and like that's just what it is because there's so many people who want to do your job for free like that is a stupid lazy response and it's just leaving the talent <laughs> on the table because what we've found and I've seen it enough and you've seen it enough yeah. You burn people out. You don't get the best candidates who aren't qualified to be doing what they're supposed, what we should be hiring for, and you're just churning and burning, and it's inefficient. Rather than giving somebody who's going to be really good, and you keep them happy by paying them to stick around for the ninety hours they have to work that week, right? So, I, I just it also has now gotten so insane of the revenues and the valuations of these major league teams that I can't stomach hearing from anybody anymore that we can't pay someone a, 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 a real living wage. Like, I'm sorry when they pay players $10 million to just go away. Like you can't find 10 grand to give to the fucking employee who's working 80 hours. And the reason all these valuations of all these franchises has gone up all of these years is because of this, is because of the front offices who've driven said valuations of selling and and building marketing platforms and say it like, that to me is where the industry loses me a little bit, and it's sad that that's still a thing. That it's just like, well, you know, we can always replace you because we're so so. It's like, yeah, but can you replace me with someone who can actually do the job? We're going to be searching for the next ten years, or do you just not care? Like, it, I, I guess that's where it boils down to. Is like, there's organizations like I know there's organizations who are better at this than others. I mean, I work for one of them, um, but it's just <clears throat> I, I can't stomach hearing like how ticket sales is just like every time something crappy had to be done what did you do you're like oh let's let's have the ticket sales staff go do it right like why did we still have right that's what i'm saying like why why is that the why is that the dumping ground it's the most important department like everyone and i'm not in ticket sales i've been in the marketing side too if the ticket sales people don't succeed in bringing said people into said ballpark merchandise suffers concession suffers sponsorship suffers Everything else suffers. Nothing works without sales, ticket sales. Nothing. That's the truth. Literally nothing else works. So why is the most important asset that we have that we put in the hands of every single time entry-level people who have never done anything in their lives at 21, 22, and hope for the best and just churn and burn and say, oh, well, they leave. We'll, we'll hire someone else to just keep making calls on the scouts. Like, no, go hire the person who's going to stay there for 15 years and have the biggest scout nights in the industry and pay them appropriately. Yeah. Show them the money versus be like, you know, well, someone else is going to take the job. Like, I just hate that mentality. I hate that mentality of our industry. It just, it just breeds ineptitude at every level because you're not getting the best talent. Preach baby preach because uh, it's, and there's never enough of them too. I mean, we need to hire more of them. You know what else you know, you used to talk about is like uh, the leagues and everything. You know what's going crazy is the Major League Soccer. Did you see these teams are going for hundreds of millions of dollars? Yep, yep. MLS teams. I remember when the MLS started. I was like, well, that's not going to work. Right, yeah. <laughs> you used to get a team Soccer like, in the United States, and now it's, it's teams worth $500 million or something. Because of the broadcast. It's on ESPN. Like, it just changes the valuations immediately. The TV deals. Like, But again, it's, in, it's just 
that's built up because of the people. Not like that's why. Like there's like oh, but if you didn't have the players, the Mickey Mantle played. The players didn't get better. Like the players have always been the players, right? Mickey yeah. Mantle did not make what Giancarlo Stanton makes. The players make what they make because of the people that were behind the scenes that were driving the revenues through the roof. That's right. The game didn't change. In fact, most people say the game got worse for a lot of sports. So <laughs> why are they all making so much money? The people. They drive the revenue, which drives the business, which drives the valuations, which drive everything else. Completely. Well, I agree. Pay the ticket salespeople. Pay everybody. Preach it. Pay everybody. Yeah, right. Pay everybody. Pay everybody. I'm, the ticket sales department, for, that's just always the dumping ground for like treating people usually like crap, quite frankly, that they don't want to be in that position for more than a year or two because they're underpaid and they just start the dumping ground. But if you want to hire the best PR person to run your PR for, which is extremely important, especially at the major league level, should you be hiring someone just because they're willing to do the job for free or should you be hiring the best PR person out there because keeping your image within the public is very important as a said professional sports team. Yeah. Right. I just, I, I just, it, that part of our industry will, will bug me till the end of time. No. Well, I guess our job is to keep on. No, pushing. and I want, you know, I and want, and then also giving the advice to tell people to like, you know, ask for, you know, we can, you can get a little bit more money. Ask for more money. And also, as you go up the ladder, you keep pushing for change. I just don't think it's right that we're asking people to graduate and sometimes go get their masters from San Diego State and have to work three jobs to survive when there's plenty of money to go around in this industry. But if you do want to get paid $16,000, you can go to work in Battle Creek and get some great stories. And feral cats. And feral cats. On the note of feral cats and how cats suck, hmm. we're going to end this podcast. Sweet Lou. Yes, that was great. Great uh, story. Story time with stuff. Chris. Story time with Chris. Usually. All right. Um, I will. Uh, happy belated birthday. Happy thank belated you, birthday you, to you. Rachel. And um, I, uh, I am off to, uh, you know, to to pay my respects bright and early tomorrow morning. Oh, one more thing. Yeah. Because uh, uh, we have to take credit for this. Sam, who was the guest two weeks ago with me about the interview process, landed a job yeah. with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Hey! I'll take all the credit. Nice job, take, Sam. take all the credit for that. No, congratulations, Sam. Uh, well deserved. In what department? Corporate partnerships. Uh, Sam, if you're listening, there's a guy in corporate partnerships who I've lost contact with. But I see it on LinkedIn and stuff, and it's my own fault. Uh, Justin Coppola uh, is in corporate partnerships with the Tampa Bay Bucks and uh, was a college buddy of mine. Small world. Yep. Say hi for us, Sam. Say, say hi, Sam. See if he remembers uh, me. We did some stupid stuff together, but we had fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, later. See you.